Last week on Palm Sunday, we talked about Jesus' illustration of himself as a seed. The story of this was tucked into a larger passage where he accepted care and intimacy from a loved one. Um, And that tender care was focused on his human body and its needs. In the days before he knows he will die, he makes a point to allow himself to be tended to like a seed that is to be planted. He says near the end of chapter 12 that at the end of the cycle, more seeds will come when the first seed dies. And that was an invitation, I think, for us to care well for that first seed. Today, on this Easter Sunday, this Resurrection Sunday, we will see a little bit more about that cycle and the seed Jesus speaks of as it comes to its completed cycle, how God reveals themselves in a final coming out, and what that means for those of us that follow Jesus. So we're going to go ahead and start uh, by reading the passage. Um, If you'd like, you can turn to John chapter 20 with me. Um, I'll be reading from the First Nations version just like I did for the um, community confession. We are going to read the whole chapter. (laughs) And I am going to do what I'm calling a Melissa and stop a couple of moments along the way to give some comments on the text um, and ponderings. And then at the end, we'll come back to um, an overall message. John 20. Early on the first day of the week, strong tears from Tower of Creator's High Lodge came to the burial cave early in the morning while it was still dark. When she saw the stone had been removed from the burial cave, she ran to find Sands on the Rock, and he shows goodwill, the much-loved follower of Creator Sets Free. She found them, and catching her breath, she said to them, They have taken the body of our wisdom keeper away, and we do not know where he is. Stands on the rock, raced to the burial cave, but the other follower outran him and came there first. He stooped low to look inside, but did not go in all the way. He saw strips of cloth lying there, but the cloth that had been wrapped around the head of Creator Sets Free was rolled into a bundle, lying by itself. Stands on the rock, arrived behind him, and came to the cave. When he went inside, he saw the same things. The other follower, who arrived first, now found the courage to go inside all the way. He saw the burial cave was empty and believed. But they still did not understand from the sacred teachings that he would return from death. So, I'm going to pause. Actually, yeah, they went back to the place where they were staying. That's what Peter and the other disciple did. So I'm going to pause there for a moment. I, um, I, I have to start by saying I love Mary Magdalene. I actually think I love all the Marys in the Bible. I think all the Marys are my soul sisters. And um, like this is just one of the stories where I love Mary Magdalene a lot. And I think this is such an interesting response um, from Mary and um, also from Peter and John, or in, in some versions, a completely unnamed disciple. Mary Magdalene comes to the temple, sees that it is empty, and immediately runs to alert the disciples. She's concerned. She's worried. The man that she loves and has loved her well back, whom she was planning to care for in his death, has disappeared. This is a strange occurrence. Peter and the other disciple come and see and only then believe her, but then they just leave. They haven't put the prophecy together with the disappearance yet, 
which might have been a reason to be cool with Jesus's body going missing. Um, but that also seems a little bit strange to me. Um, but that's not the case. They do believe something, but they just don't stick around to, to, to see what's going on. And I like just find that so weird. Um, and so one of the things I love about Mary is her desire to stick around. Why don't they seem concerned as Mary? Some scholars say that when the scripture, um, that when the scripture says Peter and John uh, believed, it's evidence that they believed the resurrection was happening. But there's also this note here about their lack of understanding about the prophecy. Um, like I said, perhaps that is the case, um, but it seems crazy to me that they just head home and leave Mary, this person that has just alerted them that their Savior and, and um, Lord is missing. They just leave her there and go home. But Mary sticks around. Let's go back to verse 11. Her heart was on the ground as she stood outside the cave weeping. As the tears ran down her face, she looked inside. There she saw two spirit messengers dressed in white. They were sitting one at the head and the other at the feet of where the body of creator sets free had once lain. They looked at her and said, honored woman, why do you weep? My wisdom keeper is gone, she answered, and I do not know where they have taken him. She turned around to see a man stand, standing behind her. It was Creator Sets Free, but she did not recognize him. Honored woman, why the tears? He said to her. Who are you looking for? She thought he was the keeper of the garden, so she said, If you have carried him away, tell me where, and I will find him. Strong tears, he said to her in a soft and kind voice. She looked closer at him, and her eyes grew wide. Then she hugged him close and whispered in his ear in her native language. Rabboni, she said, meaning wisdom keeper. You must let me go, he said back to her. I have not yet gone up to the father. Go to my brothers and, who walked the road with me and say to them, I'm going up to my father and your father, to the one who is the great spirit and father of us all. Creator sets free had chosen to show himself first to a woman. Strong tears from creator's high lodge. The one he had set free from seven evil spirits. Strong tears then went and found the followers of Creator Sets Free and said, I have seen our wisdom keeper. She then told them everything she had heard from him. We're going to pause again. So of this passage, um, one scholar I read said, Mary didn't have the confidence to believe that Jesus had been resurrected, so that's why she stayed behind and wept. And frankly, that made me mad. Um, <laughs> and I felt like it was a little bit of a reach. It didn't make sense to me. Um, if like men are, if the men of the passage were confident, um, about the return of Jesus and that just like puts them in a place where they decide to just leave. I'm not sure how the inverse of that just, um, meant that Mary stayed and that her emotional display means that she's not confident. Mary allows herself the space to attend to her grief, in my opinion, in this moment. Even if the disappearance of Jesus's body was meant to happen, wouldn't it still feel like a shock? a recognition that big changes might be coming. To me, it seems that Mary is the only one brave enough to attend to her own emotional experience in this moment. And I think it also can't be ignored in this section of this passage that the angels appear to Mary in this place and that Jesus makes his first appearance after he is risen to Mary. Waiting until the moment that Mary is alone, sitting in her grief, Jesus comes to her after the other two are gone. In this moment, we see Jesus value Mary 
in a way that not many people recognize um, people to, or not many people have valued women in scripture thus far. He calls Mary by her first name, which is actually the only time in scripture that he uses a woman's name, and then gives her clear instructions to tell about his coming back from the dead. Theologian Robert Goss calls Mary the original successor to Jesus's leadership and community because of this moment. Peter or John could have been given the valuable role of announcing the return of Christ Jesus, but here we see Mary is chosen, given the opportunity to share this incredibly good news. Even after his queer behavior, behavior got him killed by the empire, he doesn't give up on centering the ones that would normally be pushed to the side. We're going to finish the chapter 19 through the end. It was now late in the same day, the first day of the week. His followers were all hiding behind locked doors in fear of being captured by the tribal leaders. Suddenly, Creator Sets Free himself was standing in front of them and said, Peace be with you. He then showed them where the iron nails had pierced his hands and where the spear had cut into his side. When they saw their wisdom keeper, the hearts of his followers were filled with joy. So he said to them again, Peace be with you. In the same way the Father above has sent me, I am now sending you. He blew his breath on them and said, You will breathe in and receive the Holy Spirit. With his wisdom and guidance, if you release others from their bad hearts and broken ways, they are released. If you do not release them, they are not released. Looks like his brother, Thomas, one of the original 12 followers, was not there when Creator Sets Free showed himself to the others. They told him, We have seen the wisdom keeper with our own eyes. But he said to them, unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger into them and put my hand into the hole in his side, I will not believe. Eight days later, his followers were gathered together again and looks like his brother was with them. The doors were all locked, but Creator Sets Free came in and stood before them all. Peace be with you, he said. Then he turned to looks like his brother and said, look closely at my hands and touch my scars with your finger. Put your hand into the wound on my side in my side, then put away your doubts and trust in me. You are my honored chief and my creator, he said. Now you believe because you have seen me, he said to him. A greater blessing will rest on the ones who have not seen but still believe. Creator Sets Free did many more powerful signs before the eyes of his followers that have not been written down in his book. But I have told this much so you will believe that Creator Sets Free is the chosen one the son of the great spirit. When you put your trust in all that his name represents, the life of beauty and harmony he has promised to all will be yours. This is the word of the Lord. So in this last third of the chapter, Jesus reveals himself to the rest of his disciples. He shows them his hands and his side, and then the disciples rejoice about, being, about him being back from the dead. And then after that, we have the familiar story of Thomas's doubt, that he wouldn't believe the disciples until he saw the hands in the side of Jesus. And I do find it a little interesting in this moment that Jesus chastises Thomas when he does see him about his unbelief, because only a few days before, he introduced himself to the other disciples by showing the wounds. That was the first thing he did. So he didn't give them the opportunity to doubt. He never gave the others the chance to not believe, and I can imagine without that introduction, probably more of them would have been in Thomas's position. 
but a perspective I had not considered of this passage until using queer theology and reading from queer theologians for our series was one shared by queer theologian, oh no, sorry, it scrolled really far down. There we go. Uh, theologian Father Shea Kern. He shares that this is one of the few passages in scripture where trans people may have, been, may have felt seen and understood by Jesus, that he as a trans person felt Jesus knew what it felt like to be him. We see here that Jesus' return has, share, has been shared with the disciples, but one person is missing, Thomas. Rather than believe those closest to him, Thomas's, Thomas insists on physical proof that the person that came back is actually Jesus, as he says he is. This doubt of Jesus' true identity mirrors what so many of our trans siblings experience when those around them doubt who they say they are because we think that we have physical proof that they are not that person. When that physical proof is asked for and the lack of physical evidence for what we think we have always understood is absent, we choose not to believe them sometimes. But Jesus says, blessed are those who believe without seeing. This is a challenge to us to believe people when they tell us who they are, a challenge to believe him when he tells us who he is. I found Father Shea's perspective helpful when I was considering the whole of the rest of chapter 20. The challenge to believe Jesus for who he is felt to me like another way to love him well, to tend to the seed that would go on to produce so many more seeds that along with the physical attention and care that Jesus is right, says is right and good in chapter 12, he gives another need here that he has for us to believe in who he says he is, to believe in his identity as the son of God. And it's, at this point, I have like a kind of terrible illustration. <laughs> um, but I was thinking about this um, while I was writing. Um, I thought about my garden last year. Um, and I'm very new to gardening, so um, I've shared that before, so please don't judge me for what I'm about to share with you. <laughs> Last year, I planted an assortment of veggies in a raised bed that I built that I was very, very proud of. Um, and I was like so excited and hoped they would like bolster my summer menu. Um, but despite doing a cursory reading of like what veggies I should plant, um, I thought, oh, I'm just planting some like normal basic veggies. It won't be a big deal. Just put them all together. Yeah, that's what I did. So I planted, uh, <laughs> I planted tomatoes, and then right next to them I planted cabbage, and then right next to that I planted broccoli, and then right next to that I planted peppers, all of whom are apparently not garden friends. <laughs> yeah. Um, like, apparently if I had switched the order up, it would have been okay. Like, if the peppers had gone next to the tomatoes, and then Joel is like, Oh, God. <laughs> it's like whole body is like, he's paying attention to his body right now, and it doesn't feel good. Um, yeah, like I just like made very, very elementary mistakes. Yeah. But I like did what I thought I was supposed to do. I watered the plants. I pruned the plants, kind of. I did not add compost, like I've said, because I think that's gross. Um, but while I tended the physical plants pretty well, um, and we did get some tomatoes, we ended the season with no cabbage, um, no broccoli, and just a few sad and misshapen peppers. It made me realize that even though I tended the garden well enough to me, the physical garden, 
I doubted the truth about the plants and believed that I knew better. That, and then they suffered and produced no fruit. While my own stubbornness wants to say that plants are just fickle, um, I know that when I plant my garden this year, I will not put those plants together. <laughs> Maybe I will compost, but probably not. Um, but I have a sneaking suspicion that I might get at least a tiny head of cabbage if I follow what the plants told me to do in the first place, if I believed who they are. All that's to say that when people tell us who they are, I think Jesus is telling us we should believe them. And while it might come across from my story that we should do that so that we get something out in the end, like jalapenos that we wanted, it isn't actually a transactional relationship that we should be aiming for. Perhaps by shifting our focus to loving and believing people when they tell us who they are, the cycle of love and gratitude begins to take place, and we receive, fruit of our, we, we receive the fruit of our labor out of a reciprocal care and love, not duty. Jesus spends chapter 20 telling a variety of people who he is, not just Thomas. This chapter is Jesus' final revelation of himself, his final coming out to the world. And when Jesus does this, it requires us to compost our own perceptions, our own theories and ideas, and to let go of what we think we know, which must be better than what he's telling us. Before I continue, I do want to pause for a moment to share something that was shaping my experience as I was writing, because we're going to spend the rest of this morning's message talking about the resurrection of God as God's final coming out. And I feel excited to do this, but I also wondered at the time if the theme of coming out would be a little tired for us all. That while I think utilizing queer theology in this series has been helpful for us all in the last several weeks, there is still a fear in the back of my mind that queering this Easter passage is going too far. That to continue in the motif of coming out despite it clearly being there would be too much in some way, and that maybe everyone is just tired of hearing it. And I noticed that the eagerness I had at the ideas that came for this morning's passage were being contained in more worry and less exuberance than they were at the beginning of the series. And I think that fatigue comes from probably my own internalized queer phobia uh, that I definitely still hold, but also worry that um, we hold as a community. But I'm still going to do it. <laughs> hmm. And I think it's important to consider that fatigue as a part of the container of what is to come. To consider that perhaps Jesus is also tired of having to come out to his people in the same way that queer people face exhaustion from having to come out over and over and over again. Perhaps Jesus here felt worried that people would be too tired to, of him constantly declaring who he was, but he still does it anyway, because no matter how many times he does it, some are still not getting it. They still don't know him, like Thomas. Because even with that fatigue, Jesus must show us the fullness of who he is. And so he is brave. And because he loves us, he makes that decision to come out yet again. He helps us to know how to love him back by doing this. The full cycle present. Seed planted, tended to and grown. Fruit blooms, more seeds planted. I was bolstered by theologian Elizabeth Stewart's thoughts on the subject when she says, uh, that she understands resurrection as a metaphorical way of delineating how queer people come out of the self-crucifixions in the closet and the death of self-hatred and internalized homophobia. Closeted bodies are often hunched, 
closed against the world, eyes cast down, the voice is reluctant and weak, the skin is cold, clammy, with no life in it, no response, just the shadow of death. Closeted bodies are entombed like Lazarus, they are dead bodies, and dead to their own spirit. Jesus ends the closet. God raises Jesus from the death of the closet and ends the entombment of bodies, and the body opens up like a flower. The head is gifted up, lifted up, sorry. The voice becomes stronger, the flesh becomes warmer. We witness resurrection. The resurrection only occurs because someone has rolled the stone away. Someone has loved the person to life. In resurrection, we can rest knowing that we have experienced the fullness of Jesus, of God. Perhaps that we have been the ones that have loved them out of the tomb and continue to do so. We, by letting go of our preconceived thoughts and feelings about who God might be, end up believing that they are who they say they are. And in doing that, we are also changed. Robert Goss says that says about coming out and resurrection that coming out is about changing lives and changing society. The ultimate break-in moment, even more so than the incarnation, is the resurrection of Jesus. It is God's coming out in full glory and compassion. Jesus' resurrection is about changed lives. The disciples closeted themselves behind locked doors. The risen Jesus appears in their midst. The Christ breathes the Holy Spirit upon them, reminding them of his farewell instruction on how to carry on in the world and how they are to forgive, the sins and forgive sins in the name of God. Jesus' resurrection involves a life-giving mission, empowering the disciples to concrete actions, to make God's presence manifest and out in the world, and to change the world's culture from violence to love. All of Jesus' disciples came to the vivid realization and life-changing experience that Jesus revealed God through his person and life. His life, words, and actions, death and resurrection, reveal God as God truly is, unconditional love and compassion. God saves Jesus from final death, and this reveals the nature of God as a resurrecting God. Resurrection is the final coming out of God. When we experience God's coming out in Jesus' resurrection, we are ultimately changed we are invited into the simplicity of love and belief as transformative acts of care. To plant the tomatoes and cabbage away from each other. When we let go of our own perceptions of who God is, we are opened up to the wider possibility of them, giving them the freedom to reveal themselves further. No longer closeted in the tomb, a body doomed to decay, God lives vibrant in their whole self. On this Easter Sunday, we rejoice. We celebrate this gift that we have been given by the out God. The God that loves us so much that they could no longer hide any parts of themselves. That they are the word, the, breath of, the bread of life, the living water, the way, the truth, the life, the light of the world, and the resurrection and the life. In the resurrection, we are invited to continue to love and care for the Christ in the ways that Jesus has instructed thus far, in the ways that we would care for the seed meant to grow and sustain the world to come. In this process, we are also changed, and we also receive love and care.
we grow and come into the fullness of who we are because of this gift. Emboldened by the rising of Jesus, may we continue to rejoice in the resurrection and the ways that we continue to be shaped by it this Easter Sunday. Amen.